Good morning, everyone. This morning's Bible reading comes from Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. If you'd like to follow along in the Trinity Bible, it's on pages 1185. Tychius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending to him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's look at this passage together, friends. Um, you, uh, I suspect you've probably heard the saying uh, that uh, talks about people coming down from their ivory towers. you just got to get out of your ivory tower and get your feet on the ground. Have you heard this saying? It's, um, it's a way of sort of expressing this frustration that some people feel that it's possible to be, possible, uh, to be so caught up in this realm and this world of ideas uh, and theory, but to have very little idea about what life's like for just regular ordinary people down here on the ground. Uh, yeah, this, this sort of way, this frustration that can uh, come for some people that uh, particularly, you know, you, you have the, the, the stereotype of the detached academic who lives over there who uh, is all in the realm of ideas but just doesn't understand everyday people. This kind of thinking can uh, come into the church too, can't it? Uh, this split between theology, the, the serious and thoughtful study of God in his word, and everyday life as a Christian. Everyday life as a Christian. Well, we've been reading through Colossians and we've I kind of feel a bit sad, actually. We're coming to the end of such a magnificent book, letter, uh, that we've been journeying through the last couple of months. And I hope, uh, I think you'll agree uh, that Colossians, as we've read through, uh, is it's one of the most theologically rich pieces of writing. I think it's one of the richest things that's ever been written about theology, about God, about what he's done in the world, about who he is. Every sentence is sort of packed, you know, as you read through. It's hard to move past each sentence. They're packed with meaning. Uh, But it is 
striking as we come to this next little part of Colossians to realise that Paul, Paul doesn't live in an ivory tower. Okay, he's no detached academic living up here in his world of theology and nice ideas. Uh, he wants ordinary, everyday Christians to read and talk about and soak themselves in this letter that he's written. Uh, He expects real, ordinary, everyday Christians to be really transformed by the realities that he's writing about here, to have a genuine impact on their lives. Well, we have in this letter, I think, we've been taken to the heights, especially in the first half of the letter as Paul has had this magnificent picture of who Jesus is. Uh, what he has done, what God has done in his son, the Lord Jesus. We've glimpsed right into the heart of God's purposes for his whole world. It's been an extraordinary journey. And it can feel, I think, as we come to this end of the letter, it can feel like a bit of a letdown, right? (laughs) We've gone up to the heights, and now we get to the random little bits at the end that no one, you know, we're not quite sure what to do with. A bunch of personal greetings written to people that we don't know. It's easy to skim skim over. But, friends, if we can train ourselves to kind of uh, to second guess, you know those assumptions we have uh, that we think we know what we need to hear? <laughs> if we can kind of pull back on those a little bit uh, and have uh, an assumption of humility before God and his word, I think there is... A real treasure here in these verses for us as a community, for us as a church. Real treasure for us. See, what this last bit of the letter does for us is to remind us that this, what we've been reading through in Colossians, it is no theological textbook. Okay? It's, it is no textbook. It is not written for theologians. And the life that we have seen that's described here is not meant to be for super spiritual Christians. It's not meant for super Christians. <laughs> it is a letter. Isn't that striking? It is not a textbook, it is a letter. And it's written from an ordinary, real man with his own ordinary, real concerns to a group of ordinary, real people with all their quirks and anxieties and sins, ordinary people who had had something incredible happen to them. They had heard this story of Jesus. Uh, It had come to them, this incredible thing that Paul calls the gospel, this story of Jesus, uh, this Lord of all things. We just declared together who Jesus is in that declaration of faith. They'd heard this story, Jesus, the ascended Lord of all things, who died to bring forgiveness and new life and freedom for his people. They'd heard it. And against everything they could have expected or even hoped for, they had heard this story and they had accepted it as true. They had accepted it as true. What it is, the true story of God in his world. But it hadn't just stopped there. There's something remarkable had happened, friends. They had heard this story. Uh, they'd, they'd accepted it as true. It really happens. 
But it wasn't just something, an interesting story they'd heard in the past that they believed that it had happened. That's not what had happened to the Colossians. Uh, If this was true, everything had to change. They didn't just believe it, they believed in it. They didn't just believe it, they believed in it. That's why it's so important that Colossians is just is not a textbook about theology, about some nice ideas about who God is. And it's not a textbook. A textbook, you know what you do with textbooks? You sort of flip through them for nice ideas that you might need one day, but generally they sit on your shelf, you don't do it. And you, you get to decide whether you sort of what your relationship to the ideas is. You know, you can accept them or ignore them or whatever you want. Paul's not interested in that kind of ivory tower theology. What's important isn't just to believe stuff about Jesus, it is to believe in Jesus, to entrust yourself, your whole life, to entrust yourself under his good and loving care and rule, to believe in him. See, for the Colossians, and we've read through it, you would have picked all this stuff up as we've read through, believing in Christ Connect, not just believing about Jesus, but them personally entrusting themselves to Christ, placing themselves under him as their Lord. It connected them to Jesus in such a profound and deep and incredible way. It connected them to Jesus uh, in such a way that they had received, and we saw this a few weeks ago, God had given them a whole new identity, a whole new self, Uh, A new person had begun. They'd let go of every other Lord and they'd put their faith in their good and true Lord Jesus. Well, we've read through the letter so far and we've sort of seen how that has played out in terms of what Paul has had in mind to to be aware and watch out for false lords that would take them away to to put to death the things that belong to their old lords <laughs> and to put on the, the, what, what the things, the ways of relating, relating to each other and to the world, to put on those things that belong to Jesus, their good and true Lord. And so this end bit of the letter, as we come to the end, it, uh, all this is just to say, this is no out-of-place kind of tack on at the end, okay? It's not a, a, an awkward bit at the end that we sort of have to read. It is an integral part of Colossians and we need to hear it because it keeps us from this great error of somehow separating theology, (laughs) ideas about God, from on-the-ground everyday life for you and me, for ordinary people. This is a powerful snapshot of ordinary lives transformed by the gospel. And right at the start and we'll return to this at the end, it presses home, I think, for us, the question, uh, what would it look like for me? (laughs) Ordinary, weird me, with all my insecurities and quirks and all my fears and failings, all my joys and hopes, what would it look like for me to be swept up in this gospel story just like these first people were swept up in it and carried on by it? Okay, we will, we're going to work through, uh, we're going to look through the passage. There's some uh, in, incredible insights into this life transformed by it. And I want to show you how they kind of fit together under Jesus as Lord. But if you have your outlines, as always, it's in there to help you see where we're going. 
Uh, we're going to look, first of all, Paul introduces in this sort of greetings to and fro to, to everyday people, he talks about his postman on this gospel team, this team that's gathered together by the gospel with a great mission for the world. Uh, the postman in verses 7 to 9. We don't know, we're not quite sure where Paul was. Just, uh, we're not quite sure where Paul was when he wrote this. Now, ah, that was the ivory tower. Okay, I forgot to show that to you earlier. Uh, we're not quite sure where Paul was when he wrote this, but uh, the two main contenders, uh, some people think he might have been in Ephesus. You can see Ephesus there. Colossae is over here. Uh, the other main, um, probably uh, more accepted, uh, generally uh, idea about where Paul was at this time was up here in Rome, where he was imprisoned at the end of his life. He'd gone through his journeys. Uh, it's not too significant where he is. We don't know for sure. I suspect he's up in Rome, in prison. Uh, and so that's what we're going to assume today, at the end of his life, writing from prison in Rome all the way over to these Christians in Colossae all the way over there. Uh, the point is uh, that <laughs> he's not with the Colossians. Okay, He's far away and if he's in Rome, he's very, very far away. You can see that up there. It's an incredible distance. Uh, he trusts this letter to these two postmen, Tychicus and Onesimus. Uh, Tychicus this seems to be something of his job, right, on the gospel team, of Paul's gospel team. Tychicus gets mentioned in Ephesians as well, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He's the postman for that as well. All he gets remembered for, this is interesting, isn't it, I think, all he gets remembered for in the New Testament is for being a postman, okay? He's just a messenger. He carries these letters, he tells people, he brings greetings about who's, how people are going here to there. It's not a very glamorous job, but do you see how Paul talks about him? Tychicus will tell you all the news about me, verse 7. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. But not only was Tychicus going, he, he, came, he went uh, with Onesimus. Now there is a fascinating story about Onesimus who Paul calls our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They're going to tell you everything that's happened here. There is a fascinating story about this guy Onesimus uh, who himself is from Colossae and he's returning. He, at this point he's with Paul and he goes with Tychicus and carries the letter all the way back to Colossae. Uh, it is particularly important that Paul calls him, do you see what Paul calls him there? A faithful and dear brother, but he doesn't call him a fellow servant like he does Tychicus. I'm just going to leave that hanging, okay? We're not going to go into that because in a few weeks' time, Steve is going to preach uh, a couple of sermons through another letter of Paul's that was also sent, we think, with this letter, the letter to Philemon. And that goes into more detail about this fascinating story about Onesimus, who himself is a runaway slave, uh, who's heading back now with this letter. More on that later. But we've got these two postmen, and Paul says, they will tell you everything that is happening here. And that in itself, friends, I think is worth sort of just reflecting on, isn't it? 
Paul's not simply interested in downloading information to these guys. It's not just about a sort of information dump about gospel theology or whatever it is. The gospel story they were swept up in bound them all together across this whole region. It bound them all together in relationship. They were brothers and sisters in the Lord. Paul just didn't plant solo churches here and there and say, see you later, fend for yourselves, I'm off. <laughs> okay. uh, he didn't do that. He kept sharing news about how things were with him. Uh, he wanted to hear news about how things were going with them. He wanted their hearts to be encouraged as Tychicus shared the news of Paul in his letter and especially significant here, he had never been to Colossae himself. So he didn't even know uh, these Christians personally, but he still has this heart for them. He knows that they are bound together in the Lord in this great gospel team. Uh, it goes against, doesn't it, our sort of inward-looking instinct, I feel. Uh, it goes against our inward sort of looking uh, desires. We, we, I, you know, I am hopeless, actually, with keeping up with people, even dearly loved ones who live far away. Uh, Paul here goes out of his way. He's so caught up with the gospel. He so desires this gospel to, to go across the world and transform lives and bring freedom and fullness that he cares so deeply about these Christians who he's never met. He's only heard stories about them through Onesimus. Uh, sorry, not through Onesimus, <laughs> through um, Epaphras, as we'll hear about later. He's only heard stories about them. Uh, but he cares so deeply about them. That's uh, striking, I think. So there's the postmen, the gospel team, who on this gospel team, playing their part. The next thing we read, though, is Paul talks in, from verse 10 onwards. He introduces three Jewish Christians who are with him. He says, they were uh, the only Jews among my co-workers in the kingdom of God, down in verse 11 there. Uh, we're introduced to people, we'll just quickly roll through them. It's helpful for us to, to, to have a little think about these people. I'll leave the map up there just to sort of help orient you to what's going on. Um, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus, sends his greetings. Aristarchus was just another ordinary person. Okay, This is going to be a theme today. He was just an ordinary person swept up in this great gospel. Uh, he'd heard about... Uh, Jesus, we hear about Aristarchus in Acts, the book of Acts, which tells of the story of the early church, this gospel explosion, um, this great work of uh, God's spirit of the risen Christ to bring this message across the world. Aristarchus was one who joined in with Paul's journey. We read about him through Acts and he ends up in Rome with Paul and apparently he's also now in prison. And I just wonder if you'd asked Aristarchus 15 years earlier than this letter was written. I wonder if you'd talk to him and, and, and asked if he could see himself giving his life up to spread the news of Jesus, ending up in a Roman prison. I suspect if you'd asked Aristarchus this 15 years earlier, he'd probably say, what are you talking about? Of course not. But this is an ordinary man swept up in this incredible global mission, Aristarchus. Uh, Paul also mentions Mark, uh, who was also on his journeys. If, you know the, if you've read through Acts, if you know the story of Mark, there was a bit of a dispute between Paul and Mark. They had a falling out. 
Uh, Paul didn't trust Mark and didn't want him on his journeys. And so Paul's other companion, Barnabas, took Mark and they went off on their own thing. And Paul went off and did his thing uh, partway through. So they have a history of tension, these two. But we read here, uh, as does Mark, Aristarchus sends greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful to see these two brothers reconciled together in Rome? And Paul commends Mark. Perhaps he's, heard, perhaps he, he's worried that the Colossians have heard about this split uh, and they won't treat Mark very well if he comes. And Paul says, no, if he comes to you, accept him. There's this, the other person we read there is Jesus, uh, probably given himself a different name for obvious reasons, <laughs> not to be confused with uh, the Lord that they served. Jesus also called Justice. And they were the only uh, co-workers of Paul's among the Jews. Then we read of, we're going to keep moving through, we read of Epaphras, uh, down in verse 12. Now, if you have a look at Matt, Epaphras, uh, we think he was converted in Ephesus. Uh, he, he heard Paul preaching this great gospel. He was converted in Ephesus and he took the message of Jesus to the Christians in Colossae. He started this church. He planted this new church, gathered people together to hear about Jesus and they had their lives turned upside down and this new church was begun in Colossae through Epaphras. God had used him to do this. And this, I think, is really helpful for us. Epaphras is really a bit of a hero, sort of a gospel hero. (laughs) Goes and does all this stuff. And then Paul says, what does he say about Epaphras? Uh, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greeting. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured, he is always wrestling in prayer for them. I don't know about you, but I kind of had this romantic idea that, you know, the more I, the longer I am a Christian, at some point, prayer will just become this really sort of easy thing that just happens naturally and organically, and I'll never need to work at it another day of my life. You know, <laughs> what a romantic I am. Uh, it is so good to hear of Epaphras here, isn't he? This gospel hero, wrestling, agonising, struggling in prayer for these Christians in Colossae and Laodicea. The gospel of grace, the message that everything has been done in Jesus and that in him we are full and free. That gospel, it didn't lead, leave Epaphras to kind of kick his shoes off and lay back and uh, just relax for the rest of his life. It doesn't, the, if we understand grace properly, it never makes us lazy. It does give us peace, a deep, eternal peace that can never be taken away from us. It gives us incredible peace. It frees us. And far from making us sort of just kick our shoes off, this gospel actually energizes us more deeply and thoroughly and incredibly than anything else. The peace that we have in Christ frees us to give our lives for the gospel. We are full in Christ, so we've got nothing to lose. 
We can wrestle, work hard, because we know our work takes place in what Jesus has already accomplished for us. That's sure and certain. So Epaphras wrestles in prayer for them so that they would stand firm in all the will of God. Uh, Paul's not here talking about standing firm in, uh, sometimes you might hear this phrase used, in God's will for my life, as in sort of a, a plan for the things that I might do. That's not what Paul's talking about here. In Colossians, this will of God is itself is the gospel, the great plan and purpose of God for his world, all centred on Jesus. And Paul says, this incredible gospel, uh, this incredible gospel he wants, Epaphras is praying, is wrestling in prayer that the Colossians will stand firm in it. They won't be moved from it. He wants these ordinary Christians to know the gospel, to be certain of it, to sink their roots down deeply in it, to never move from it, to grow deeper and taller in it. So that's Epaphras. Uh, What a great example, what a great inspiration, really, of a life transformed by the gospel. There's two others with him in his gospel team in Rome. We read of Luke and Demas. Luke, uh, you may be familiar with Luke's gospel. Um, uh, Luke wrote Luke's gospel and Acts. And Demas, we don't know much about, except that he had a bit of a sad end, actually. In um, Paul's last letter, the letter to Timothy, that we know as to Timothy, uh, he tells of how Demas loved the world and deserted him, um, which is uh, an interesting sort of shift, isn't it? This guy who's on Paul's gospel team, not long after this, uh, leaves Paul, deserts him. But these were all real people, friends. They were all real people like you and me. They had all come under Jesus as their Lord, their captain. They were brought together in him, under him, to pray and to work and to preach and to live in him. This ordinary, extraordinary gospel team. Well, there's a bit of a shift here. We are going to press on through the rest of this chapter. There's a shift. Uh, He shifts from the people who are with him, over probably in Rome, and to talking to the people who were over in Colossae in one of their sort of neighbouring cities, Laodicea. Uh, The Laodicean Christians we read here met in a house of a woman named Nympha. She was probably a single woman or maybe a widow, uh, but who, just like... Everyone else in this chapter, an ordinary person, swept up in this great gospel growth, this great story, and she, she used what she had for Jesus' sake. She opened her house for the church to use it and gather in. Paul mentions it here. Uh, he, he says next that uh, down <clears throat> uh, at the end of, uh, towards the end of the chapter, at verse 16, he says, after this letter has been read to you, See that you share it with the Laodicean church. So he expects these letters to be read across the churches there. Uh, And that's uh, an important thing for us to reflect on as we read them as well. Uh, And then he finishes up with this guy called Archippus. We don't know who he is. He probably had some sort of leadership role in the Colossian church. Uh, maybe, Maybe he took over from Epaphras after Epaphras had left 
in terms of uh, overseeing the ministry, the work of the gospel there. We, don't, we just don't know. It may not even be helpful to speculate about that. But what's clear here is that Paul is encouraging him to press on, to keep going in the Lord. He had been given a work. And this whole framework that's governing this whole chapter, that Jesus is Lord, that his gospel is global, and that it governs ordinary, everyday people's lives. It's the same thing here with Archippus. There's, there's too much at stake for Paul. The gospel is too important. And he knows Archippus, uh, on some level, needs to be encouraged to keep going, to press on, to not grow weary or discouraged. It's an insight, isn't it, of a whole life that's taken captive by the gospel, by Jesus. And then Paul finishes up there, the last verse of the, of the whole letter, chapter 4, verse 18. Uh, he probably takes the pen for himself off his scribe and maybe uh, probably actually struggling with chains around his wrist to write this last bit, to kind of put his own personal signature on it, maybe to authenticate it for them, but uh, give him his own personal ending. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. Paul doesn't just put in words because that's what he always says. It's not like saying kind regards uh, at the end uh, that I sort of, you know, you might put into an email you don't think anything about. It's not like that with Paul. He says, grace be with you, and he means it. What a more fitting way to capture this whole letter, everything Paul's been talking about, than grace, God's undeserved kindness, his undeserved kindness to people who were at war with him, who were his enemies. God's undeserved kindness in sending his son Jesus to die for their sin, to rise as Lord of a new creation. Paul's great desire was that this grace would settle into them, sink deep into them, be with them, keep transforming them so that they would in turn play their part on this great gospel team, this great outworking of the gospel across the world. Well, it is, I think, really helpful for us uh, you know, 2,000 years later, it's really helpful for us uh, to read this last bit of Paul's letter to the Colossians and to see the historical, real situation that this was written into. It was written to people like you and people like me in real places with their own real lives. The, the map sort of draws that out for us, doesn't it? It's not just an abstract thing that we're suddenly reading in front of us. This is a letter to real people who really had their lives turned upside down, transformed by this message of Jesus. And we need to see this, friends. There are no two classes of Christians. There are, there, there are no two classes of Christians. You know, the really serious ones and the rest of us. <laughs> That's, there's, no, there's nothing like that. The, the image here is of life together under Jesus as Lord. Life together under Jesus as Lord. And having Jesus as Lord, 
changed and impacted and directed everyone. Everyone. Paul wasn't special because he was an apostle. There was no ivory tower. Paul had a particular role he played on this sort of gospel team, what I've called it, (laughs) this gathering of people across the world. He had a particular role that was given to him to play, but he was just a man like everyone else. The postman, you know, Tychicus the postman, uh, his fellow prisoner Aristarchus, they were just as much a part of Jesus' team as Paul was. Uh, Jesus had just as much a claim over each of their lives as he did over Paul's life. It looks different for them all, but to be a Christian is to be swept up in this story to have your whole life shaped by it. Your whole life shaped by it. To continue, as, as we read earlier in the kids' talk, not only to have received Jesus as Lord, but to continue living your lives in him, grounded in him, built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. That is the ordinary Christian life. And if you were around 2,000 years ago in Colossae, your name could well have been alongside these in this letter. That's how ordinary this is. These real people swept up by this wonderful gospel. I just wanted to... um, uh, draw one more thing out, though, in, in sort of summary of all, all these things. Uh, not only uh, is this just to ordinary people like you and me, not only is the image here of life together under Jesus as Lord, I think we need to just marvel, actually, at the character of this life. What, is, what does this life look like? All the way, it's, such a, it's a passage full of warmth, isn't it? <laughs> of grace, uh, of personal relationship between people who actually knew each other deeply and cared for each other and loved one another, people who had had differences in the past but had been reconciled, people who knew that in Jesus they had something far more important, something far more wonderful and big than than even their own story, their own preferences, their own struggles. This incredible image of this life together. And Paul just models the grace of God for us, doesn't he? He has a heart for real people. His rich gospel theology didn't detach him from relationships. (laughs) It embedded him in them. If you know the gospel properly and well, that's what it'll do. It'll embed you in relationships with people because there's nothing more important and urgent and necessary for us and to see this gospel go out to wrestle in prayer for real people like Epaphras did. Well, really this whole end of the letter here, it's just a snapshot of if, if you read everything else in Colossians up to this point and believe it, if you read about Jesus and not just believe about him but believe in him and trust yourself to him this end of the letter is really just a working out of the letter of Colossians in flesh. You know, it's, it's Colossians on legs. You know, uh, It's Colossians worked out in real people's lives. People joined together, swept up in the great gospel message, every person playing their own part to see this message explode across the world 
keep grouping people, transforming lives. So please, friends, if you're a Christian person, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying what Epaphras prayed for the Colossians. We should be praying for ourselves, praying that this gospel will continue to be at our centre, this will of God for those whole world. We will sink deeper into it. Uh, if you're not a Christian, though, friends, uh, this is the kind of life that faith in Christ gives to you. It can give to you and will give to you if you entrust yourselves not just to an idea about Jesus, but to Jesus himself. Uh, to be swept up in this wonderful, incredible global story about what God has done in Christ and what he is doing in the whole world. You can do that. Uh, if that is not you, you can do that right today, right here and now, to hold out your hands to receive Jesus as your Lord. Not just about him, but in him, entrusting yourself to him. Wherever we're at, though, friends, this is an extraordinary encouragement to us, isn't it? Uh, to live this letter of the Colossians out. Not, it's not a detached ivory tower thing. This is meant to sink deep into us and transform us so that the gospel, this gospel might continue to go out from us across this whole region, across the south coast, across the whole world. Um, let's pray that God will do that through us, shall we? We pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this life together that we see in Colossians at the end of Colossians. Thank you, uh, Father, for the insight we get into these ordinary lives that had been just turned upside down, had been so gripped by the message of your grace, gripped by the reality of what you have done in Jesus. Uh, thank you that that is never something that just sits in our head, but that sinks deep into us and transforms us. Thank you that we have been given a whole new identity in Christ with him as our Lord. Help us, Father, to continue to live our lives in him, grounded in him, built up in him, rooted in him, established in the faith, overflowing with thankfulness for everything you've done for us. As we come to the end of our journey through Colossians, Lord, may that be our prayer for each other, that we will stand firm, not in ourselves, but in your wonderful, uh, global, life-giving plan and purpose in our great and good Lord Jesus. Please do that amongst us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.